years ago, uh, I remember sitting with my son. My son is five now. At the time, he would have been probably two or three. Uh, we lived in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, which is uh, a little bitty town uh, about three hours north of here. We went to this place called Port Discover. Now, Port Discover was awesome in Elizabeth City. It was, a, uh, it was like this place where you could take your kids. Um, they had like all these sensory things. So when you walk in, there's a bearded lizard uh, who, after we moved, died. And this will tell you how deep of a connection we have this place. I told, I told my son that he died, and he cried. Yeah, I know. I don't remember his name, but Bone would. So anyway, we, we would go to this place all the time. You go in, and you go to the back. There's chickens free running. You could go back there and step in chicken poop. And then you could come in, and they've got this, like, water table where your kids could play with water and set up obstacles and learn how that goes. Then there was a whiteboard so they could draw and, and, and erase and all that stuff. There was a flight simulator. That's where you could always find me when we were in that place. Um, but there was also this other area, and it was just building blocks. The image or the, the memory that, that comes to my mind is me and Bone were playing. I mean, I was in the flight simulator. I don't know what Bone was doing. Um, but there was this kid over here, and he was building. Now, this place is built for toddlers and then, you know, middle-aged men like me who want to play flight, flight simulators. Bowen is playing, uh, and I'm, I don't remember what he was doing, but there was this toddler over here. He was building blocks, okay? And it was awesome. This kid got so much joy. You ever watch a toddler just build? And especially as it starts to get, like, high off the ground. I look over, and his smile kind of dissipates, though, when he realizes he's run out of blocks. Well, toddlers, in case you are far removed or haven't been in this life stage yet, they're pretty resourceful. So the boy goes around the place. He finds other blocks that don't mix with this blocks. Drives parents crazy, but he does, he does it, right? And then he starts to add blocks to this building. I don't know what the building was. Maybe it was the Tower of Babel from the sound of it, you know. <laughs> Get it, toddler Babel. Anyway, he's building it. it. It's not really getting higher. It's not really getting wider. He's just adding blocks here and there. And he's, got, he's so happy. Like, he's so happy. Until when? He runs out of blocks. Yeah, I set you up for that one. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so then he, toddlers are resourceful. So he goes around and he finds more blocks and he, he comes back to his tower and then he starts to build again until he was out of blocks again. And then like every good toddler just straight up melted down. <laughs> and then that's when you go to Chick-fil-A. Um, yeah. <laughs> This story starts to describe us after a while, doesn't it? I mean, we, we build and we build and we build until we run out of blocks. And then we got to have more blocks. So if that were me in this place, what my, what my parents would have done is walked over, said, nice building, knocked it down, and then said, look, now you've got as many blocks as you want to. Uh, good, great parents. That's probably what I would do too. But uh, I think about the story, and 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 I think about toddler, and I, I think about me. And maybe you connect with him too. Because after we build our tower, whatever it is, like we want more, and so we'll go and we'll find more until more is not enough. 
instead of being content in the, in the building that's here, we'll go and we'll find more to try to build more and to have more and this lack of fulfillment. Man, it, it, just, it just describes me. I, I just crave more. And maybe, maybe you do too. Like we build, we build, we build. I think it's our human nature to just want more blocks. Is it not? Well, uh, some people who are smarter and older than us said we all have these inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everyone deserves to be happy, right? If you're not happy, they say, just do whatever it takes. Do whatever is just going to make you happy. Man, just follow your heart because at the end of that, you'll find happiness. Like all of these cliches, these Americanisms that we've found. Oh, I don't want to step on your toes, sorry. But all of these uh, Americanisms that we find that make us, make us happy about trying to achieve happiness. But even once we gain those things, we desire more and more and more. And so I think, guys, pursuing happiness, there's got to be something better, right? Like, I I know the the Sunday school answer is Jesus, but (laughs) there's got to be something better than pursuing happiness. Because here's the thing, we can spend our whole life running toward happiness, trying to be happy, trying to make our lives happy and everything around us happy. And we're singing Pharrell's song, Happy. I mean, like our whole life is surrounded by happiness, but we could still feel so, so removed. So I think there's something more, and, and I think that something more is joy. So you've got your Bibles, and you've opened up the Philippians chapter 3. Um, I got to tell you, this is my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, whenever I don't know what to read in, in the Bible or if, if, if ever I'm stuck, I come back to Philippians. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of context about the book of Philippians. I, I think or it's a letter, okay? The book of Philippians is a letter. And Paul writes this letter to a church in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. I think every pastor needs to feel about his church the way that Paul feels about the Philippian church. There are some letters in the Bible where Paul's just pissed. Like he just writes this letter and he just like, man, the the whole thing is angry. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, read those. And you'll see the teacher, the, the parent in Paul come out. Where he's like, man, you you need to stop doing that. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing that. Philippians is this love letter. And and at the beginning of Philippians, he he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He said, it's with joy that I pray for you. I mean, he just has this, like, love for them and, and and a thanks for them for what they've done for him in his ministry. But in the middle of this love letter, there's this section that he wants to make sure that he cares for them uh, and, and, and protects them. So here we are, Philippians chapter 3. In the middle of this love letter that Paul's writing, um, we read uh, verses, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. 
He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It's a safeguard or protection for you. Watch out for those dogs. D-A-W-G-S. That's how we say it, dogs. Watch out for those, or, or dogs. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. We'll read about his confidence in just a second. In the middle of this letter, verse 1, he says, finally. I don't know if you've ever been to church and the preacher says, finally, but that's your clue that he still has half of his sermon left. Okay, like, you're like, oh, yes, thank you, this is going to be a short day. And, and then 30 minutes later, you're like, come on, dog, you said finally. So, finally. <laughs> this, so, this is Paul's, like, finally. If you were to write finally in a paper or a presentation or something for, I mean, you're about to wrap it up, right? Like, you're going to wrap up a presentation, a, a, a paper, um, a love letter. I don't know if you write love letters or whatever, but I don't know. Anyway, Paul's finally, though, is more than just, uh, hey, I'm, I'll see you later. Paul's finally means finally. See, Paul's in prison when he writes the letter, when he writes Philippians. What Paul doesn't know is he's going to get out of prison. Um, he's going to get out of this imprisonment. But for Paul in prison, what that means is his next step is to die. Every time that door opens, Paul thinks, man, here we go. I'm going to be on trial. I'm going to be publicized. I'm going to be embarrassed in front of everyone, but here we go. Earlier in the, in the book, he says, um, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I mean, that's the mindset that Paul has, but he's ready. I mean, he's ready to go. And so as he starts to prepare, he writes this, church, write this, le- writes this letter to people that he has this passionate love for. This is his last opportunity to address a church that later in the book of Philippians he will call his joy and his crown. I mean, you can kind of hear the passion that Paul has for these people. And that's the kind of love that every pastor should have for his church. That's the kind of love that we should have for for each other. And so this is much more than just the beginning of the end of a letter for Paul. This is the beginning of the end of his final words to his closest friends. And so with him, he's he's very careful with his last words. Have you ever thought about it? Like what you would write? For for some of you, maybe you have. You've thought about what you would, the letter you would send back home or or, or what you would tell your loved ones. For some of you, it's, it's been a lot closer to reality than for some of us. But man, this deep relationship, this is what Paul writes. Um, he writes with his final words, he, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Um, he, he's, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Paul's turned this this word for joy, the word that we have for joy, he's taken this noun and he's turned it into a verb. He's telling them, do joy. Like, finally, here's what I want you to do. Rejoice in the Lord. Do joy. He says, have joy because of the Lord. 
Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy because of who God is, is what he says. And I want to tell you, rejoicing is the foundation to having, or rejoicing in the Lord is the foundation to joy. I mean, it seems so simple that that would be it, but um, I think if we're going to refresh, like if that's, the, if that's what we're talking about, you ever been there? Like in a season of life, maybe you're not there now. Maybe you're killing it. Maybe life is just rocking for you. It's not always going to be like that. Or maybe you're coming out of a season where life just sucked, you know, uh, and, and, and now things are good, but looking back, you know what it was like. Or maybe you're smack dab in the middle of just this dry spell of life. And it's like, man, I just need something to find to make me happy. No, 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 no. We need to pursue joy. And the foundation of, the, of joy is not a celebration of our circumstances. It's rejoicing in the Lord. And so Paul, like any good overseer, any good pastor, any good, ch- any good uh, friend, really, he wants the best for his flock, his church. And so he encourages the Philippian church to watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil. He calls them the mutilators of the flesh. We'll talk about that in just a second. Apparently there were these Jews who like infiltrated the church. So here's what you got to know about the the New Testament. Christianity is this first century. They they thought it was this cult that's coming up out of the Jewish faith. It kind of was. It's not a cult, but it is a sect coming out of the Jewish faith, right? And so a lot of people didn't pay any attention to it except the Jews. And they hated it. Because they were tainting what God was. They, they thought that G, the Jews thought Jesus is just this, this prophet. He's, he's come from God, but he's not the Messiah. He's not the one they were pointing to. And so every time Christians would say, hey, we want to love God with our whole being, Jews would say, look, that's cool, but you still have to follow these rules. Like you still have to follow the rules that God gave to us Jews because we're God's people. And Christians are like, yeah, but, but we are following Jesus, and they're like, and Jews are like, he's just a prophet. You still got to follow God's rules. Mainly what you'll run into in the New Testament is they wanted, they wanted Christians to follow the Jewish calendar instead of the, the Greek or Roman one. They wanted um, Christians to follow the Jewish diet, and they wanted Christians, every Christian, to be circumcised because that was the covenant they saw with Abraham. And so you hear Paul saying, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Before we start hating on the Jews, I mean, you got to kind of give it to them. Right? I mean, I wish that we as church were as passionate as they were then because, like, they were like, dude, God loves us. If you want to be saved, you got to do these things. Uh, now, as a church in the 21st century, we're just so passive, like, oh, just come. It's cool, man. If you want to give your life to Jesus, it's cool. If not, it's, eh, it's whatever you want to do. No, it's not. It's not cool. It's not cool. Like, we believe we have the secret to eternal life, to live forever. An atheist, Penn Teller, said, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus? Like, I wish we as a church were just as passionate as these Jews that Paul calls evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Man, I wish it was do or die for us. And so the Jews who look on the outside 
they're trying to get these Christians to follow their. So you, you can see, man, Paul's. I can't see if there are children in here. Now I can. Okay. PG, he's angry. <laughs> Paul's ticked off. And so he says, man, watch out for these people. Because they're trying to hurt the people I love. So he says, these dogs, these evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Here's a rule for when you're speaking in front of people and there's a light in your face, don't look into it. Because then you can't see anything. You think I'm kidding. I'm still trying to get it together. Okay. I think what's interesting, can you, can you pull up uh, verse 3 and 4? Paul's Jewish. You're going to see it in a second. He's every bit of Jewish. He comes from that background where they're like, if you want to be, if you want to love God, you got to do these things. But who does Paul associate himself with? The Jews or the Christians? He says, for it is we who are the circumcision. It's we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm not associating with them anymore, even though I could. He says, because though I myself have confidence, such confidence. Look at what he says in verse, uh, the rest of verse 4. So we're going to pull, uh, pull up the next set of verses, please. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Um, he says, if anyone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says, if anyone has reason... I have it. So he says, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. That means Paul says, I'm part of the covenant. He says, I'm an Israelite, a a tribe of Benjamin. So he's like, I just want you to know where I came from. He says, I'm a Hebrew that came from more Hebrews, that came from Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. And he says, and, and so his main concern then was carrying out the law. As for zeal, he says, I've got zeal. I persecuted the church. Before Paul became, Paul, he was Saul, who ordered the kill, or ordered hits on all kinds of churches. On his way, on the road to Damascus is where he, he ran into Jesus, but he was on the way to drag, the Bible says, women and children out of churches. I mean, this is a bad dude. And you think you got a past that Jesus can't fix. Right, this, he says, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I mean, Paul genuinely thought of himself as flawless. So if anyone has reason to boast in their flesh, Paul says, I've got more. If anyone chased things to make them happy, it was Paul. He had it. He was straight balling. I know it's, it sounds crazy that Paul would list these things to make him happy, but we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, if you came up with a list of things that make you happy, it might sound something like money or stuff. Your stuff looks different than my stuff. Stuff to make me happy looks like golf stuff or fishing stuff, you know, things that God approves of. <laughs> um, our job, our career. Man, if I could just have that next step, more friends, 
That would make me happy. Uh, the approval of my family members. That would make me happy. If I was a little more safe, if I had a little bit more security, I could be happy. If I had a little bit more popularity or if people knew my name, I would be happy. If I was in a little bit better shape or if I just lost some weight or if I just looked a little better for whatever reason, I would just be a little bit happier. You know, we can spend all our time, all our emotions, all our thoughts and our energy trying to attain all these things for one excuse, to be happy. But right after, like, you got it, right? You lose the first 15 pounds, and you're like, man, I thought that would be ha- make me happy. And it's like, I just need to lose a little bit more. You, you got the newer, faster car, and then you see a newer, faster car zip by, and you're like, dang, man, I wish I had that one. You got that new career, like that new step in your career, and then you're just miserable because you're working more. And so you're like, man, if I can just get through this season and get that new rank or if I could get that new promotion or if I could just get that raise, it would make it all worth it. See, like we get happiness and then it's gone. Happiness is something that you will always be chasing, but you'll never catch it. Because once you catch happiness... It's time to go get it again. Once you realize that you've got it, once you got what it, what, whatever it was that will make you happy, you're going to just need more, right? That's the trick about being happy. Money. You can always have more. You're always going to have bills. I will, for the rest of my life, have student loans, right? So it's like you can always have more money. It's never going to satisfy you. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never have enough zeros. Your stuff, it's going to break. It's going to disappoint. You're going to catch this huge fish. It's going to snap your rod. One day. One day, maybe. Your job it's always gonna, could always get better. You could always make more money, have a bigger promotion, have more power. Friends, they're going to let you down. They're going to move on. They're going to find someone else. Your family eventually will let you down, or one day they'll be gone. Maybe it's safety and security. Um, who, who are you getting your safety and security from? Is it from people? Because that's fleeting. What about popularity and fame? How long is that going to last? You know, uh, your physical health? I'm sorry. You know, we got some buff people in here. Someday you're going to get old. <laughs> One day you're just going to wake up and you're going to tear something. And, and, I'm gonna t- and, you know, the Marine Corps just won't care. You're laughing, but you know it's true. <laughs> or one day you're going to wake up and, and, and you're going to go to the doctor and the doctor's going to shock you with the C word. You got cancer. I mean, you can't put all of your happiness in, in your health or what you look like. Paul's got all of the stuff. Paul's got all the happiness in the world. And then he says, I want to trade it all in. Look at, look at what's next, verse 7 through 11. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing, listen, I consider everything else a loss 
because. If you have your own Bible, if you like to write or highlight, I want you to highlight or circle that word because. Because I want you to see why it is that he considers it a loss. Not because I consider it lost, because in this new life I can have more. He says, I consider it a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yeah, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I wish Paul would just shut up. But he says, I want to know Christ, and I want to know all of him to know the power of his resurrection and the participations in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Man, Paul says, I want to trade it all in. I want to give it all up for why? For the sake of knowing Christ. For the joy of the Lord, he wants to give it all up. I'd like to go back to, um, to a verse, uh, I think it's verse 10. Uh, can you pull that up for me? Um, go, go back one more. Nine, maybe. Um, anybody see the word rubbish up there? Yeah, yeah, no, I'll leave it right there. That's good. Verse 8. Paul says, uh, the, the NRV translates this word. Let's see, where is it? Um, all this stuff, all this stuff he's got to be happy. Like Paul could. He could have just kicked his feet up, played nine holes a day, and been fine. But in verse 8, he says, all these things, that would put me on top. He says, I consider them garbage. I wish the NIV would just be, just man up one time. I love the NIV and, and New International Version. If you've got one of our Bibles or if you're following along on the app or whatever, that's the translation we use. It's it's a pretty good translation. If you're looking for fun on the, on the Bible app, look up the Hawaiian Pigeon version. You will have a blast. I cried so hard the first time I read it. I can't do it now. Oh, I want to. Maybe next week. Um, so NIV is great. What they want to do is translate the Bible, and then they, then they want to make it so we can read it and understand it better. But sometimes it just takes a little bit of the power away from Paul, what he's trying to say. Uh, this says garbage. Maybe your translation says rubbish. Uh, rubbish. Um, this would be our equivalent. So the word, the Greek word means excrement. Paul's dropping a four-letter word right here. And if that offends you, then you get it. Like, we don't want our apostle Paul to say cuss words, so let's change it to garbage here. But Paul's like, look, I've got it all. If I wanted it, I've got it. I was a Pharisee. I am, an Is I am Jewish. I'm a Hebrew that came from Hebrews. I was circumcised, if, if that's what you want. He said, and I count all of that as crap. All of that happiness is crap compared to what? To the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I hope, it it kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable that Paul would 
just drop a word like that, but you get it. I wonder if we would do the same. Would you trade in all the happiness in the world for the joy that comes with knowing Jesus? Let me ask you, what, what is it in your life that you're pursuing? What is it in your life that where, where you've put all of your trust, in your, all of your hope? Is it in your bank account, your retirement, your physical health? Is it in your, is it in your family or, or your friends? Like, are you putting all of your trust and your hope in those things? Because what happens when they're gone? What happens when you're gone? Then what? Happiness will get you rubbish once you're gone. But joy, joy will last forever. So real quick, as, as we wrap up, <laughs> finally, <laughs> what's the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness, y'all, is based on circumstances right here, right now. You might be happy, we might get to the park and it's raining, and you might be sad, right? That, that's got nothing to do with anything. Happiness is based on, based on your circumstances, but joy is based on your circumstances with Jesus. It's based on your relationship with Christ. Where do you stand? Where do you stand with Jesus right now? Like when you have joy, you can take all of this stuff in this world from me, but you cannot take my relationship with Jesus Christ from me. You can't take my relationship with God from me. You can take it all. But I know that one day I will spend eternity with God. You can have it. I'll give it to you. And Paul understood that. And so he writes this in, in verses 12 and 13. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. I forget what is behind, the happiness, and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know what the prize is? The prize is Jesus. I want to show you a picture. Uh, we got that up there? I was waiting for you guys to go, aw, you missed it. You missed your cue. Not cool. Not cool. This is my daughter, Sadie, and she was two. She was two. Y'all see that face? Man, so cute. I get to be her dad every day. That rocks. Um, okay, so my family, uh, so we're real involved uh, with the Onslow Community Outreach. Uh, our, our churches, you know, with the Oktoberfest. And so last year for the Oktoberfest, they had a, a 5K race. And the 5K race was also accompanied by a one-mile fun run for families. And so uh, it was to go to, uh, to help with the soup kitchen. And so we sign up for the one-mile fun run for families. And so we show up, and, uh, you know, in our running gear with our two-year-old and four-year-old, ready to just kill this one-mile fun run until we get there and realize we just made up the one-mile fun run part. My wife and I, who the only running we really do is to the grocery store, 
and our four-year-old and two-year-old have signed up for a 5K. Most days I don't drive 5K, let alone run it. And so here we are, and it's just like, what do you want to do? Because I'm like, cookout is open. <laughs> and we could probably, it's probably less than 5K to there. So uh, double cheeseburger, cheese, onions, pickles, chicken quesadilla, Cajun fries, and a Coke float. All right, anyway. I thought someone said, hey, man, I'm going to run out later. I want to get you something. What should you get? That was what that was. Okay. So anyway, we're at this, we're at this 5K. And uh, so we're like 10 steps in, and I'm regretting every part of it. And I'm just like, you know, we can just do our own thing, like do a mile and go. And Aaron's like, no, let's do it. I was like, okay, let's do it. Which means that I have to go with the four-year-old who just wants to run the whole time. So it's like, so we, we go. We're out. We're out. And, um, man, it was tough. It was tough. What they did, though, is they had this soup truck. And they were like, we're going to put the soup truck behind the person in last place. <laughs> you see the truck? And so that we're going to make sure that we, we come in with, with everyone, you know, like so that no, no one drives up on us or whatever. That's the truck right here that's rounding up last place. And this is Sadie. She doesn't care what's behind her. She doesn't care that she's in last place. You might be in a spot in your life right now where you just don't want to run. Like, you're like, dude, I'm in last place. I just want to quit. Forget this Jesus thing. I just want to be happy. Sadie doesn't care that everyone else is in front of us or the the person next to, like, in front of us finished, like, 30 minutes ago. She doesn't care about that. Sadie just wants to finish the race so she can get the prize. That prize is this silly little medal that they didn't give, even give out. A friend of ours in the church knew that we finished the race and that they didn't give us a prize, and so they brought it. But, man, she is so proud to have that. She still pulls it out and puts it on. She says, this is my medal from the time I ran the race. No one show her this picture <laughs> that she was last. She doesn't care that she was last. She didn't care that sometimes during that race, someone had to pick her up and carry her. She didn't care that during that race, there were times she was in a stroller going and people were passing her. Like, she didn't care about that. All this little girl cared about is finishing the race. And, man, when we finished, she was so, so excited. Look, finish the race. I know you're in last place. Look, let the church pick you up and carry you. Let, let us pick you up and carry you. Look, pick me up. Carry me. Because there are times I'm in last place, and I just want to get in the truck. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to run it anymore, and that's when I need my friends, my, 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 my brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown to come pick me up and say, look, we're, we're with you, man. I'm going to carry you. And that's what it means to be a part of a church. Look, maybe, maybe you just need to pick your head up and run. And sometimes that's just one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. Because here's where joy comes in. is when we cross the finish line. It's knowing what's across the finish line. 
I, I love the book of Philippians. Man, if I could spend my life studying one book for the rest of my life, it would be that one. Like if I could preach the rest of my life from Philippians, don't challenge me. I might. I, I love it. And Paul just talks about the sacrificial life that he spends in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He says, I, I love you, church. And even though I'm bound in chains, the gospel's not. He says, I praise God that the gospel's being spread all throughout the Praetorium Guard, all throughout Rome. He said, there are some preachers out there who are trying to make my life miserable by preaching for their own selfishness. He said, whatever. I'm just glad that Christ is being preached. He says, man, I, I pray that one day we could have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Why, why go through all of this, Paul? Like, why be in prison so many times? Why be beaten so many times? Why give your life to martyrdom so many times? And Paul says, because the, price, the prize is worth it. Not only for you, but for those who have accepted Christ and died before you, the prize is worth it, and they're celebrating now, and... And not only for you is the prize worth it, but it's worth it for your children and their children and the next generation, those who are going to accept Christ because of your life and your ministry. Look, the prize, guys, has is, is, is got to be worth it. it it's got to be worth it. Joy comes from knowing there's a prize. And at the end, you'll receive it. Before we read this last verse, I just want to tell you uh, another quick story. I was out of time in my ministry when I was preaching. I started preaching the lead pastor of a church at 21 years old. I hardly knew how to tie my shoes. Um, and this church was like, yeah, you be our preacher. I was like, okay, <laughs> you asked for it. They were really just desperate for a preacher, and I was really naive, and it worked. Well, after a while, man, I put all of my, all of my happiness in our church growing. Dude, it was crazy. We had 21 people the first, we had 15 people the first week. And that was including me and my wife. And man, our church just took off. And it, it was so cool until it wasn't. And then, and then we just stopped growing. And it was like, what's happening? And man, I just hit this like pit. My happiness was filled in, in church. It's really hard for pastors to not tie their identity with the church. And so it, it, was, it was a tough time for me. So anyway, I, I got invited to this thing in Arizona. And it was, it was really cool. It was, it was one of the pivotal experiences of my life. And um, there's this guy. He started church in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And at the time was the pastor. Or no, he just retired. And the church was like, it was this real small church. He planted it, uh, a real small church. It was like 21,000 people. Um, yeah, I, I know, right? And so um, he's sitting here at a table. I'm not one. Like if, if, if like, uh, someone famous is in the room, I'm not going to bombard them. I'm the one that will just sit back and wait for everybody else to do it. Usually you get better conversations that way. Like you get to meet them and do cool stuff because they're tired, and tired people just talk. So it's, it's cool. Anyway. So anyway, uh, I walk out of lunch, and I'm the last in line, and Bob Russell, every, every preacher's hero, is, is right there, sitting at a table with his mentor and a, a Bible college president, and there's one seat open. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went and sat down, and I just listened to him talk. You know, I, I'm not trying to, in, in, like, interject myself in the conversation. I, I'm young 
and I know that young people, guys, we should just shut up and listen first, right? And so I'm just listening and listening and listening, and I just couldn't let the conversation go without asking one question. So I said, hey, guys, I just took this ministry. I'm ready to crawl in a hole and be done. Give me some advice. Bible college president, he said, uh, keep your nose clean, kid. I'll never forget how he said it. He said, keep your nose clean, kid. And I was like, what are you trying to say, bro? Trying to get buck? Oh, wait, I'm young. No. Thanks for the sage advice, dude. No, it, dude, keep your nose clean. Just keep your nose clean. Whatever you do in your life, keep your nose clean. It will get you so much further. I don't remember what the old guy said. I probably should because it was probably better than everybody else. But his name's Larry Orn. I do remember that. Here's what Bill or Bob Russell said. Not Bill Russell. Bob Russell. This is what Bob Russell said. He said, practice joy. And I, I was like, come on, man. You, you're supposed to give me something better than that. You got 21,000 people. Practice joy. And I was like, let me write that down. <laughs> man, I can't tell you how powerful that advice is. Because when your church has five people that show up, it doesn't matter. When you got 200 people that show up, it doesn't matter. When, when your bank account's full, it doesn't matter. When you got five bucks left in it, you still go to cookout because you can still afford the food. It doesn't matter. Like, here's what he's saying is practice joy. Do joy all the time. No matter what, practice joy because joy is what's going to last you for your lifetime. Joy is what's going to going to keep you going. Joy will get you to the finish line, forgetting what is behind and striving forward to what is ahead. And Paul finishes up chapter 3 like this. Because our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Lord, come. Lord, come. God, I thank you that I can't create my, my happiness. I mean, I can, but I thank you that it's, it is fleeting. God, although there are times where I just want to crawl in a hole and be done or climb the truck and be finished, I, I'm glad that I, I can't. It just pushes me back to you. It drives me to, to my knees to, in prayer. It brings me back to, to the word which points to, to Jesus. God, I pray for our lives that, that you're enough. <laughs> Jesus, be enough. We want you. And, and God, we ask you that in our life when there are times where we don't want you. God, where, where there are times where we, we, we want other things and we're chasing them. God, I, I pray that happiness is something we can't get so that it brings us back to the joy that is lasting forever. God, for those of us in our life right now that have it, 
God, I, I just, I thank you. And I pray, Lord, that in, in our lives we can always experience happiness, but God, we know that that's, that's just not, not going to be there. So God, I pray that it's joy that gets us through. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. Our joy comes from knowing that our lives will be with you forever and ever and ever. Amen. We pray all these things to the one who is and is and is to come. Jesus. Amen.